The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. How much do you know is the title of the message this morning. I'd like you to open your Bibles to the epistle of 1 John chapter 5. Again, the title of the message is, How Much Do You Know? Since the COVID-19 shutdown several weeks ago, school children are at home and often parents find it difficult to find something for them to, to be occupied with. And there are also many adults that are home even without children and they find that a problem as well. I've talked with some of you that are uh, staying busy. The Kaczynski's reverted to homesteading and Matt went out on his back porch to survey his claim and decided that he would farm the land. And so his children are in overalls and they're raising crops and killing chickens and that's the way that they're surviving. And that's a good way to keep everyone busy. But most are not really that industrious and so they try to find other ways to occupy themselves. And I've heard that most people have turned to television, that they keep busy by binge watching TV shows and the networks and streaming services are pouring out content for people to watch. And many of them are bringing back old shows to fill in the gaps since new programming is difficult due to the shutdowns. I'm not really a fan of TV, but there are a few TV shows that I watch when I need to shut down my mind for a while. And believe me, that's what I think that TV is. It is a mindless exercise. And that's true, except for uh, a few exceptions. Uh, a television show that's been on for many years is Jeopardy. Uh, if you haven't heard of Jeopardy, you've been in a cave somewhere because it's been on TV since I was a child. And Jeopardy is a show that is a test of knowledge. The subjects are wide and varied, and a contestant on the show must have wide-ranging knowledge. Well, I have some knowledge, and I can get a few of the answers right, but most of the time I'm staring at the screen and I'm saying, oh, don't know that, don't know that one. But then occasionally there is a category that pops up, and it's about the Bible. And that's when my eyes light up and finally I found something that I know something about. And usually I can go down the category and get every answer right. But truthfully, for Bible students, almost always those questions are easy. They aren't really theological stumpers like we sometimes get in the form class. It's trivia. It's not theology. But the interesting thing about most of the contestants is they can run down, run through the other categories, but they're stumped by these easy Bible questions. Most people know little about the Bible. And yet when you talk to people that are ignorant of the basic facts of the Bible, they have an opinion about it. They have ignorant opinions, especially opinions about Jesus, which are at best very peculiar Here's a little story about knowledge of the Bible. One day there was a man who told his friend that he had become a Sunday school teacher at his church. And his friend was just astonished. He couldn't believe it. And so he said, you don't know anything about the Bible. You're not qualified to be a Sunday school teacher. 
I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And the man said, well, yes, I do. Everybody knows that. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And his friend was just amazed. He said, wow, you win. I didn't know you knew so much about the Bible. And that is the classic blind leading the blind. And yet I dare say in many churches, this is what we get. Churches that will not teach the doctrines of Scripture have no in-depth knowledge of God, and thus they don't know Christ. There is no discipline but religion that people know so little about, and yet they think they are experts and their opinions matter. I would never converse with a brain surgeon and give him an opinion about how he should perform an operation. Now, this is a little bit off of my topic today, but when preachers step out of their expertise to give opinions about health care and whether the response to the coronavirus is correct, well, they may very well endanger people's lives. We don't want the theologically ignorant coming into our church and influencing the church. So we wonder, what is it our business to make a call about COVID-19 and determine is that really a killer? My opinion on those things don't really matter. But that's not my subject. My subject is knowledge. How much do you know about the truths of the Bible? Now, the answers to other questions in jeopardy are not as important as this, because knowledge of the Bible is knowledge of questions that deal with life and death. The Bible deals with questions that concern the eternal soul. And if we are to differentiate between knowledge that's helpful and knowledge that is essential, then surely the intellectual would conclude that the knowledge of Scripture and of the things of God is the most important knowledge we can possess. Now, I want you to look at this text in 1 John 5. This is a a small sampling of John's letter, and I want you to notice some important facts that we must know. I want you to quickly analyze as we read and see if these statements are critical knowledge. First John chapter one, we'll read uh, these first five verses once again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the son of God. Now, if you read this entire letter you must conclude that John is supremely concerned with knowledge. He speaks many times of things we know. In the five chapters of 1 John, he uses this word know 27 times. And here in this fifth chapter, he uses it eight times. So John impresses the reader that knowledge of God is powerful. And you need this knowledge because it has everything to do with your development and your maturity as a Christian. 
Now, obviously, we don't have time today to uh, in this sermon to explore the many instances in first John where he speaks of knowledge. But I have chosen four in this chapter that I want to speak to you about today. And you determine, is this knowledge worth more than all other things you know? Now, let's begin with verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, first, John defines Christians. So number one is that we know who Christians are. Now, in this verse, John begins to impress his readers with the identifying marks of God's people. Now, the Bible doesn't leave us wondering, how can we distinguish God's people from the rest of the world? How do we know who they are? Is there sufficient knowledge? Is there sufficient information? Do we have enough to help us to determine this? Well, this knowledge is not really difficult to obtain because it's gained by understanding what God's word has to say on this subject. Now, unfortunately, there are many false Christians, not only among those that never attend church, but also some sitting in the pews of our churches. And there might even be some in the in the seats of the Briam Baptist Church who aren't true Christians. And there is no valid opinion of the identification of Christians except those opinions that are founded upon the scriptures. Now, you ask most people if they know who Christians are. One response would be is that a Christian is someone who helps other people. Someone says that a Christian is a person who donates money to the Red Cross or some other charitable organization. A Christian is someone who works in a soup kitchen feeding homeless people or in these times of trouble that we're experiencing now. It would be someone who delivers food to those that are shut in because of the virus. Some identify Christians as those who go to church at least part of the time. And then there are still others who believe a Christian is someone who is born into a Christian family or lives in a Christian nation. Roman Catholicism claims that anyone who's born into a Roman Catholic family is a Christian and is a part of their church. But a person might do any of these things, may do all of these things and much more, and yet they may never meet the Bible's criteria of being a Christian. Let me tell you what the Bible says a Christian is. A Christian may do all of these things, but what makes him a Christian is the relationship that he has with Jesus Christ. A Christian is one who has been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 1 and 4, you see the term born of God. And the proof of being born of God is that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if I could make a quick theological note here, the original verb tense that we don't see in the English says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And that places the new birth before faith. And that makes our faith an act of God enabled by the Holy Spirit's regeneration. And so our faith then, that is evidence that we are born again, just as John asserts in this text. 
We can't believe unless we are born again. And there's nothing that we can do to prepare ourselves for being born again. The Holy Spirit prepares us for faith in Jesus Christ. So being born again is to be born into the family of God. A Christian is one who is established by the relationship that Jesus explained to Nicodemus. Jesus told him, you must be born again. And yet most people who claim to be Christians have never heard of being born again. Or if they have heard that term, they think, well, that's language. Those are terms that belong to right wing fundamental Bible thumping nuts. Well, these people are not born again because they were never told by their church what being born again means. But Jesus said, you'll not see the kingdom of God. That is, you cannot believe without being born again. Rarely do people give a second thought about this biblical distinctive that defines Christians. Most people think they're already right with God, just as Nicodemus did. And so they need nothing else but to add the externals. They have no inward working of the Holy Spirit that changed the disposition of their minds, that gave them ability to come to Christ in repentance and faith, and thus to understand what this statement means. Jesus is the Son of God. Being born again is essential. It is the first foundational requirement of Christianity. Christians possess identifying marks, and the first criterion is being born again. The new birth in Christ enables believers to practice righteousness. It enables them to love God and to love other Christians. It enables them to overcome the world. It enables them to keep themselves from Satan. It enables them to share the love of Christ with the lost and dying world. And as you read First John, you'll find that these abilities that I've just spoken, these are all products of the new birth in Jesus Christ. So we can see, we can identify Christians, we know who they are. And so then we can follow it up with this, that secondly, we know how Christians act. We know how Christians act. Now, th- this part could take all of our sermon time, so I'm going to... Pare it down considerably and concentrate on just one of the central activities of Christians. Now, as you read first John, one of the most obvious uh, for John would be love in, in verse number one. The Christian will love God, the father, the one who begat Christ. He will love Jesus Christ, the only one by nature who is begotten of the father. And then he will love other believers who are also regenerated by God. So love, that is an essential mark. But rather than speak of love, I want to emphasize uh, this part that's coupled with it in verse number two. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And then this and keep his commandment. Now, John used that as proof that we love God. We keep his commandments. So what do Christians do? Well, certainly they love. They love God and they love each other. But let's concentrate on that last part. They keep God's commandments. How do you identify a Christian? A Christian keeps God's commandments. Now, John 
repeats this information continuously in first John, but he never says it more clearly than in chapter two, verse number three. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I want you to understand that keeping commandments has never saved anyone, but it does identify those who have been saved. Now, this statement is excruciatingly damaging to the person that I preach to who is living in sin. It's damaging to those that I reason with about their sin and they won't repent of their sin and obey the teachings of Scripture. I can't conclude that they're true believers because John says we know who Christians are because they keep his commandments. Now, keep this in mind as we look in chapter five, verse 18, back to the fifth chapter Verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. I can imagine that there's some, as they read this, they squirm. You mean the Bible says that if I am a true believer, if I'm truly born again, that I don't sin? It says in this verse, whosoever is born of God Sinneth not, does not sin. Now that, that's a tough statement to live up to. And if that is the defining characteristic of Christians, no sin, you can never sin, I'm hurting. In fact, if believers never sin, we're all hurting. If that's what this verse means. There are no Christians and there never have been. But we know there are Christians. And so this verse demands further investigation. There are some Pentecostals and other charismatics who believe that once they're saved, they can be perfect. John Wesley came to this conclusion. Adam Clark, an old time Methodist commentator, agreed with that. And this means that they believe that it was it is possible to reach a spiritual plane where you could live without sin. But this verse is not talking about sinless perfection. The verbs in the original language have the force of continuing action. So we could translate it this way to say, whosoever is born of God does not habitually, does not continually practice a lifestyle of sin. Real believers will not stay in sin. Now, those of you that are Christians, you know that before you got saved, you had no desire for the things of God. And though you may have had some moral uprightness, you were never concerned about the consequences of a sinful lifestyle. Heaven or hell, that really had no serious impact or influence on your decisions. But it's not that way since you believed. God builds it into his people. It comes with salvation to have a desire to be like him. The word of God tells us that he's wrought a sanctifying work in the heart of Christians so that there is no Christian. And I'll say it again. There is no Christian that can be happy in a lifestyle of sin. And so if you say that you are a Christian and you're happy living like the world, living like the unsaved, that you can be happy staying out of church, happy in the company of lost friends and the devil's crowd, that you can be happy living in adultery or other perverse sexual sins, then you'd better rethink and reexamine what you believe. You better take inventory because 
The Bible says we know how Christians act. We know because God's word tells us how they act. We know because John says right here in this book, in this little letter, in chapter 5, verse 18, that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. And in chapter 2, verse 3, believers keep the commandments. And in chapter 5, verse 2, believers keep the commandments. Now, there are many churches that need to do some house cleaning. Many churches will not practice discipline. They have people on the church roll that have never had the Spirit of God working in their lives. And they don't even care that they do. There are some people who are professors, but not possessors of the new birth. When God saves you, he changes you. You become a new creation in Christ. And if that's not evident, if there is no fruit of righteousness by a changed life, then there is serious cause for concern. Now, let me explain something. I'm not saying that Christians never sin. And I'm not saying that Christians always act As they should. And I'm not saying that you'll never get into a situation where you as a Christian must do some serious repenting over things you've done. All of us will be in that situation sometime or another. What I am saying is if you have no desire for Christ, if you have no sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, if you have no deep terrifying abhorrence of sin, if you have no convicting, chastising work of the Holy Spirit when you sin, if you have no desire for fellowship, if you have no affinity for the church of the living God, if you have no desire to please Christ by this, by obedience, if you have none of these, then you have no cause to say that you are a Christian. And if you have these, you won't stay in sin. John says we know how Christians act. I would say to pastors, clean up your church roles. Many on the church roles that you think are backsliders are not sliding back. They never moved upwards. They never reached the mountain of Christ in the first place. We know who true believers are. John also wrote, true believers don't leave us. And let me tell you, we must have churches that preach this and stand by it. Get out of a church that says we won't preach against sin. Get out of a church that that preaches that way because that is dangerous. You are fellowshipping with many people who are not Christians. Now, thirdly, there's more important knowledge we must have. Thirdly, we know who Jesus is. In the first part of this letter, John's salutation is specifically Pointed to identifying Christ as he combats the heresy that Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. In the fourth chapter, he he rehearses that theme by saying that anyone who does not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is antichrist. Now, going back to chapter five here in chapter five, I want you to look at verses six through 13. We read these verses earlier in the call to worship. That was to save time from reading it here. And these verses verify the witness of the truth about Jesus. Now, you can peruse the verses again. You can look at them in your Bible as we discuss them. And I don't know how you can find a clearer, 
more pointed or more detailed statement in the entire Bible about who Jesus is than what we find here. John tells us there are witnesses to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now in verses 6 and 7, our first witness is the Holy Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are heavenly witnesses of who Jesus is. Isn't it something that people substitute the witness of men for the witness of God? Who is greater, man or God? Well, people believe evolution despite the witness of God. They believe the universal fatherhood of God despite the witness of God. There are people that reject the deity of Jesus Christ despite the witness of God. They believe their good deeds are enough to save them despite the witness of God. John says we have the witness of God and his witness is always truthful. It's always right. You can always trust his witness. So he says in verse number nine, if ye receive, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. In other words, if you can believe man about anything, how much more can you believe God about everything? And then John tells us we know who Jesus is because we have witnesses in the earth. There are witnesses in heaven and there are witnesses in the earth. The witness, he says, from the earth is verse eight. These are the spirit, the water and the blood. Now, we need to think about who John was and what John saw to understand this verse. Now, I'll take you to the first chapter where John says in chapter one, verse number one, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, John was an apostle of Christ. He was one of the inner circle of disciples. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was with Christ during his earthly ministry. He had personal fellowship with Jesus. He ate with him. He traveled with him. He was there when Jesus was crucified. And he was there when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And John saw the ascension and he heard angels say, Jesus is coming back. John personally witnessed all these events. And now he says, first, we have the witness of the spirit. What is the spirit? Well, you might be interested that there is controversy over what spirit he's talking about. Some say, well, this is the Holy Spirit. But others say, well, there's no need to mention the Holy Spirit again, since he already spoke in verse number seven of the witness of the spirit in heaven. Some say that this witness is the witness of the gospel, the good news that saves all who believe. Well, whichever it means, whether Holy Spirit or the gospel, both speak compelling, a compelling witness of who Jesus is. Jesus said that he would send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to this earth and he would guide us into all truth. And Paul said that the scriptures that relate the gospel will make us wise unto salvation. And so both interpretations in both of those, we have a witness to tell us who Jesus is. Well, then John says we have the witness of the water. On Sunday afternoons, when we can have church, we baptize converts that come to faith in Christ. The water 
that we baptize with doesn't save anyone, but it is a witness of the event that saves. What is that event? Well, the waters of baptism are a witness of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every believer should be baptized to give a public witness of what they have believed. Well, next, John says we have the witness of the blood. Now, what could you say that speaks louder than the witness of the blood? The scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That means there is no forgiveness. John saw Jesus hang on the cross. He saw the blood that flowed from his head, from his hands and from his feet. He saw the spear that pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. And that blood was shed for the redemption of believers. The blood that represents his death. The life is in the blood and his blood was enough for the salvation of every person that places his faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If you need a witness of who Jesus is, go to the blood. You go to the cross and there you see the blood stains from the death of the son of God. We have these witnesses, witnesses in heaven, the Trinity, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. There are witnesses in the earth, the spirit, the water and the blood. We have witnesses so we can know who Jesus is. Yes, John says there are some things we know we know who Christians are and we know how Christians act and we know who Jesus is. Now, there are many more principles of Christianity we know. But let me just add one more to this list of knowledge. And the fourth is we know the truth. We go down to verse number 20 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's pretty clear scripture, isn't it? This is the true God. You can't debate that statement. You can't debate that Jesus is not God when it says very clearly this is the true God. The son of God is the true God. Well, it's true. Jesus Christ came. The fact that we are in him, that is true. It is true. It is the true God that gives eternal life. Now, there are many things in this world that may be worth knowing. I mean, if you know all the answers to the questions on Jeopardy, that that worth, the worth of that knowledge could be measured in millions of dollars. That's useful knowledge in that context. But can never touch the reality that you can know the true God and his word and eternal life. I remember many years ago when our missionary to El Salvador, Steve Cerna, was a member of our church. Before he went to the mission field, he was a public school teacher. Steve made a request for our Wednesday night prayer page. And he asked that prayer would be made that his students would hear the gospel and be saved. Now, public school officials and our government are content to feed our children lies of evolution. They feed them lies of humanism. They feed them the decadence of deviant sexual behavior and every other wicked thing imaginable. 
But if your desire is to give them the truth, if you're a school teacher that has a desire to give them knowledge that will save their souls from an eternity in hell, well, you're in danger of violating their religious freedom and violating their civil rights. You are in danger of losing your job and probably in some cases even jailed when the truth of the gospel is labeled hate speech. Twenty years ago, I read a story. I saved it. You can only imagine how much worse things are now. This is a description of the knowledge of religion in our public schools. This is from 20 years ago. And this old article says, Paul Vitz, professor of psychology at New York University, examined 60 social studies textbooks used by 87% of the nation's elementary school children in a study done under the auspices of the U.S. Department of Education. He looked for primary references to religious activities such as prayer, church attendance, or participation in religious ceremonies, as well as secondary references such as citing the date when a church was built. What Vince discovered was a total absence of any primary religious text about typical contemporary American religious life. And only a few secondary pictures and passages touching upon the religious. The few direct references to historic religion centered on Amish, Catholic, Jewish and Mormon faiths, leaving a very curious deletion of characteristic Protestant religious life. Religion appeared to be relevant only in remote points in history. Pictures of pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving were bountiful without any mention of to whom thanks was being given. One mother told Vitz that her son's social studies book made no mention of religion as a part of the pilgrim's life. Her son told her Thanksgiving was when the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians. When the mother called the principal of her son's suburban New York City school to point out that Thanksgiving originated when the pilgrims thanked God, the principal responded, that's your opinion. He continued by saying that the schools could only teach what was in their books. Well, thank God there is a book that has all the right answers. We have a book that has all the right answers. And thank God that you sit under the influence of the preaching of the word of God and thank him that out of millions and billions of people that are in this world, he saw fit in his mercy and grace that you would receive the gospel, that you have your mind enlightened and open to the truth of the word. Now, I want you to notice a special phrase in first John five twenty. The first part of the verse says, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Now, this is without doubt one of the most important points of theology that we need to know. It is God that gives understanding. I can pick up this Bible. I can read it cover to cover. And it will be meaningless unless God gives me understanding. My personal intellect is, is not enough. That's not enough for me to understand the word of God. There's none of my secular training or studies in all the years that I was in school that could prepare me for the truth of what is in God's book. My only advantage from secular schooling is that I learned to read. And if I hadn't learned to read, somebody could tell me somebody could read it to me. 
But if all it took to understand the Bible was the ability to read or to hear it, then we could hand the Bible to people and say, well, just have at it. Just start reading it and then you'll know everything there is to know in the Bible. Is that anybody's experience? Just read the Bible and now you'll know everything that's there. No, you can read it from cover to cover and not know what's in the Bible. Understanding God's word is not a product of our ability. None of these four areas of knowledge that I've given you today is within our ability. This is God's territory. And unless God in his good pleasure sees fit to open the eyes of our understanding and to reveal the saving truth of these scriptures, no one would ever be saved. God alone illuminates the mind to truth. It's not in your ability to believe unless God opens your mind to understand the gospel. And that's what he does in regeneration. And that's the reason you must be born again. Well, we come to an area that's worthy of our consideration. And that is, have you ever, have you ever as a child of God, have you ever even for a moment wondered, is this real? Is what I believe the truth? What if others are right and I'm wrong? Well, I find it hard to imagine that sometime or another, all Christians haven't thought that because I know how the devil works. I know that was a problem in the days of the apostles, because much of what we read in the New Testament in these epistles are the apostles encouraging Christians in the assurance of their faith. Well, it's natural for us to have doubts about faith because we're still in the natural. We're still in this body of flesh. So it's natural at times to doubt, which is not to say that it's OK to doubt because the word of God teaches how to squelch our doubts. So what happens when when doubt clouds the mind? Well, here is where John is at his best explaining why we should cast our doubts aside. Now, if you'll turn back just a page or two to first John two twenty seven, here John writes, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The believer in Jesus Christ has an anointing. Now, this is not an anointing that you hear charismatics talking about. This is not a second work of grace after salvation. This anointing is not the ability to speak gibberish. The anointing is the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our hearts. He is the anointing. Now, when you get saved, this earthly house, your body becomes a place for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen to Paul explain about this witness. This is Romans 8, 16. The spirit itself or the spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How do you know that what we teach and what you believe in your heart, what you have believed, how do you know that is the truth? You know it. By the presence of God's indwelling spirit. The spirit does not indwell people whose faith is not real. Do you know why unbelievers doubt and they say, well, we're not really sure what truth is. Do you know why they say we're not sure what religion is right? 
And do you know why they say, well, the Bible has so many interpretations. There's just no way of knowing who's correct in their interpretation. They say these things because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them to show them the truth of the word of God. But this is something, you know, according to John, there's something You know, as a child of God, you can be sure about when you hear false teaching and when you hear heresy, the Holy Spirit applies the brakes and the Holy Spirit says, don't go there. That's false doctrine. That is a lie. Stay away from that. And so you have the guiding hand of the presence of God to keep you in the truth. Do You know why false religions deceive the world? It's because the lost person doesn't have the spirit The Holy Spirit of God living in him to help him to discern the truth and deflect the lies. John says we know some things. We know the truth. And because we know the truth, we can walk in God's light day after day. We are not children of darkness. And darkness means without understanding. We are children of light and we walk in the light as he is in the light. Where you walk, that is also Another proof of your faith. Aren't you glad you know some things? Aren't you glad that God opened his word so that you could receive all the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal savior? These are things worth knowing. If you learn nothing else, learn that God loves his people, that God sent his son to die on the cross, that we might attain special knowledge That we might learn truths that are far beyond the value of knowing how to win a game show. We learn the extent of the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. We learn that we are heirs to the riches of God. We learn about heaven where we will live in the light of Jesus Christ. And you know what that light is? It's the glory of his perfect understanding. We'll come into all knowledge when we're glorified with Christ. How much do you know? Well, I hope you know enough. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, he was closing out his life, closing out the letter, last letter that he wrote. He says to Timothy, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all these things. May the Lord give us understanding so that we know Christ in a much better way. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we receive from your word. And we thank you for what John wrote here about things that we know And we can take these things and evaluate our lives by them. What kind of an effect? What effect does what we know have on our lives? What we know will show up in the way that we act. We know how Christians act. John said that. We know what Christians do. We know what Christians believe. We know the Lord, God, that they believe in. This is the proof. It's the proof that we must have to give us assurance that our faith is real. Lord, I pray that you would speak to that person who has so much difficulty trying to obey you. That every day they seem to be falling into sin over and over again. Or might even be living in sin at this very moment and are not doing anything about it. 
Lord, help them to re-examine, to re-evaluate. Is their faith real? And if not, may they have the Holy Spirit open their eyes of understanding. So they come to Jesus Christ in real faith, in real repentance, receiving him as Lord and Savior of their lives. We thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you for the faithful of our church that when they hear a message like this, what they hear is, I'm being confirmed. I'm being assured. I know that I'm a Christian because of what I've just heard. This is me. I understand. And we thank the Lord. We have so many in our church that are like that. Father, we pray that you would bless our country and bless uh, the people that are going, all of our people that are going through such terrible times as as these. And may you show them that you are the true God and they can have eternal life in you. This this life and what we know in this life is not the most important thing we know. What we know about eternal life, that is most important. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Keep watch over us and take care of us as we know you will. Bless your church and may we soon meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Broner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.